podcast where we read the thousand and one books you're supposed to read before you die and see if they're worth your time. I'm Nicole, a lover of Harry Potter and historical fiction. And I am Chelsea. I am a lover of YA Lit and any book that will make you cry. So, uh, before we get into our book from the list for this week, what else have you been reading lately, Chelsea? Um, I'm continuing my trend of reading the Poison Study series. I'm now on to the third book in the series, Fire Study. And I also just started Assassin's Apprentice, which is a, in a trilogy by Robin Hobb. But I'm only about five pages in, so that one's still up in the air <laughs> whether it's going to be good or not. Yeah. Uh, the, probably the best book I read since we I last recorded was called, it's a YA book called Dreamland Burning by uh, Jennifer Latham, and it was so good. I think I got this book title from another book podcast that I listened to, and it's it was about, um, there was an African American or half black, half white girl in modern day Tulsa, and then a, a half white, half Native American guy in Tulsa in 1921, and it alternates chapters between them and their timelines. And in Tulsa in 1921, there was race riots where the right white community went into the African American neighborhood and burned everything down and killed a bunch of people. And so it's like that character like coming to terms with his feelings about race in the past, and then her, and then like her like kind of investigating. They find a dead, a really old dead body on her parents' property, and trying to find out who it is, and it's connected to the race riots. Oh, it's so good and like really inspiring. Highly recommended. I'm definitely thinking I'm going to read that one, so (laughs) I'm really excited. But the book we read this time was called Life as a Caravanserai Has Two Doors. I came in one, I went out the other, and I am going to butcher her name, so just apologies in advance, by Amin Sevki Ozdemar. And it was published. We're thinking in Turkish at some point because she's a Turkish author, but all of the publishing information on the book is in, in Turkish. Turkish and German. And we can't read it. <laughs> so we could figure out that it was originally put in German in 1992 and that this English translation we read was done in 2000. So who knows when the Turkish happened, uh, but we do know the German and the English right. dates. Right, and we know that the author is a Turkish woman who lives in Germany. Um, so if we had to describe this book in one word, what word would you use to describe it? And fever dream. Okay, fever dream. I think I'd have to go with the word rambling in the sense that you're just like, you're rambling down a country road and you're not really getting anywhere, but that's fine. That's kind of the point of the ramble. You're just, you're going down the road. Um, this book was a ramble. And it was long. <laughs> And it, I mean, it was 300 pages, which shouldn't be that long of a book for us, but it felt long. <laughs> it felt like you were reading, like, a 600-page tome. Yeah, yeah, like, this could have been War and Peace, and it would have taken me the same amount of time to read it. Yeah. But I mean, I haven't read that book. But <laughs> Don't you <do> it. <laughs> but I think that it's on the list, so maybe we will read it eventually. But I know that I've struggled with those Russian authors, so... Um, okay, so I'm going to give you guys a little quick plot summary of this book. It's, it follows the childhood and growing up of a young Turkish girl in the 1950s and 60s, which is a time of political upheaval in Turkey, we learned. Um, and it's, it's told, she's the narrator, it's from her perspective, and so you get that like child, untrustworthy narrator thing going on. And, and it's just about her like growing up and how their family is struggling financially, and then they're moving from place to place, and you kind of get the background information that it's because of this political upheaval, um, and more like... The debate between having Western influence in the country or not. 
Um, you know, is Turkey part of Europe? Is it? Is it not? Is it a part of the Middle East? Like stuff that still is in the news now. Um, but it's told from a child's perspective, so you don't really, you know, you're not really picking that up completely. And it's just about her. Basically, it's about her growing up and like learning the cult, her like the history and the stories of her people um, from her grandmother. I would say that's that's the thing. Yeah. The short version. Uh, so. so this is going to be where we say spoiler alert. Again, let's look in the episode notes to see when the spoilers end if you have intentions of reading this book because we do do discussion after we're done spoiling it for you. But if you just want to know more about the book and you're not worried about being spoiled, I will say this book does not have a ton of plot, so I don't think there's a lot... Yeah, you could definitely. Um, I would stop listening now and skip ahead. And and I'd say that our next thing is let me give you some more details about the plot, so when we talk about it, it makes sense. But I don't even know how to do that for this book because it it's very rambling and it's there's a lot of it's the whole book is written in a stream of consciousness style, um, and there's tons of tangents, just like Mm -hmm. like and so I think you're getting a lot of like it's a lot of like oh my grandmother told me this story here's the story and then like tiny tiny incremental movements of like she's growing up and time is going by but it's so slow and sometimes you can't even tell like it would take me three or four pages to realize the location had changed uh-huh. like they'd be in another city <laughs> and I'd be like oh they're not in Bursa anymore okay yeah yeah <laughs> so it just definitely was the there wasn't a lot of plot I was in also, terms of movement yeah. forward moving plot I was also confused because the the book, in the first page of the book, the main character, who is never named, she has no, doesn't have no. a name, she's in her mother's belly. She's not been born, but she's yes. already telling the story. And and in, like, the f- first little bit of the book, I when I first read it, I thought that she had been, like, abandoned by her birth mother and adopted by this other family. But then later on, it seems like that didn't happen. And so from the very start, I was confused about, that seems like a major plot point. Oh, also, did we mention that there's no chapters? Yeah. It's just 300 say. pages of stream of consciousness with no breaks. No chapter breaks. No even, like, you know how sometimes books might might have each section of the book is all one chapter, but they have those little dots that are separated. Yeah. I'm sure those have a formal name, but I don't know it. Yeah. Not even that. There's no, just, just, like... Text. It's 300 pages of paragraphs. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. So it was hard to read. It made it hard to read um, because it was hard. It was just, it was like you would just, well, if I'm stopping in the middle of this page and then like trying to pick up the story again the next day was hard to do. And I don't know if that's a stylistic thing we're just used to being in right. Western culture where there's going to be, we expect there to be a chapter break and then you pick it back up. We expect there to be a pausing place. But whether or not it's because of where I'm from, it was hard to read. Yes. Yeah. As a, yeah, and as a, like readers, we found it hard to read. But did you think back to what I said? Did you think that she had been abandoned as a baby and then adopted by the grandmother and put in a new family, or no? At the beginning, I oh, you don't remember. Didn't don't remember. <laughs> I just remember being so confused as to why she was talking about what happened when she was a fetus. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that. Um, I've read other. I. I just feel like that's not a good way to start a book. Every book that I've read that started out like that, I don't usually enjoy very much. It's <laughs> I don't know what it is. It, I, mean, I feel like I've read some works that it's a lot of magical realism, and they kind of talk about that, and it, you can pull it off. But um, it's just, yeah, it's it's not, it's weird. But back to your point about, like, chapters and culture, a lot of things in this book, I wondered if we were missing the, like, lyricalness of the language, mm-hmm. because it's an English, it's a translation 
probably twice over from yeah. Turkish to German to English. And, or maybe just from German to English, but it doesn't really feel have the same rhythm as the other book we read for the podcast that was translated yeah, from German. Just, so I think it is from Turkish. <laughs> just in case you're looking to read this, um, the translator that we read, which is the only English version we found, so it's probably the only translated yeah. version, was Louise von Flatow. Flatow. Yes. So um, that's the translation we are talking about. Yeah, and it seems like... And so I just kept being like, oh, like maybe this would be... This would really flow beautifully if I was if I understood how the, the construction of the Turkish language, which I just don't have that knowledge or, or any or any yeah. way to get it, you know, like and and so then maybe then maybe it would make sense, and then maybe if I could place this book in the like vast scope of Turkish literature, I would be like, oh yes, this is a really great example of the peak of what this like culture has given to the world in literature. Um, but without that context, it was really it was really hard to understand the structural choices um, well, and, and I want to yeah and I want to say like we're going to speak we can only speak from our perspective and if someone who is Turkish is reading this book they probably can get more out of it than us because yeah because they have so much more context in the story and the structure well and I also I think that um, one thing that I do know was solely because of where we're from and our reading backgrounds mm-hmm. I think that people who um come from cultures that are more based in storytelling yeah. this would mm-hmm. have been an easier transition because mm-hmm. it definitely was told like it was someone's oral narration. Yeah, it was oral, oral storytelling. <laughs> oral narration of events, of a story. It jumped around like that. In fact, at the end of the novel, there was this line where the woman in the story are sitting in a circle, and it's a woman from the village, too. And it just says, Many women were sitting there on the round earthen stove. Your grandmother was sitting there, too, among the women on the stove. She had blankets draped... I went way further back than I had to. Uh, (laughs) Draped over her legs. The stove was round. They sat there. And one woman would tell a story, and another woman would take the last word from her mouth and start telling another story. And it definitely felt like... The whole novel felt like that. Like, it was Mm. like, I'm telling a story, and then I'm... Even sometimes it felt like it was a narrator shift, but it wasn't. Yeah. And then... Just last word, new story. Last word, new story. Yeah. And that's just not the way we talk or read or really yeah. read our lives. We, we're like, we're trapped inside our linear Western education that we, and culture that we've been raised in. Yeah. So and so I did appreciate limiting. that it did feel like a story, like a novel coming from a storytelling mm-hmm. culture. Like it was told like stories would be told. So that is yes. one of the few things. Yes. I appreciated about this novel. So all, all of that to say is that I feel like we're we're not coming from a place where we can really grasp the things that make this book really great, according mm-hmm. to the people who came up with this list, a thousand and one books list. Um, but it doesn't mean that I I didn't find some of the plot points. I'm critical of some of the plot points, and maybe yes. it's not fair. You know, it's, I'm not making a fair judgment on it, but. As I was reading it, I, there were some significant things that I found super frustrating. Yeah. This was the first <laughs> book that we've read. Um, I mean, I know we're only six books in, so I'm sure there's going to be other books about this, but this was the first book I felt bad about not liking. Uh-huh. I like, really wanted to like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it, and I feel bad about not liking it because I feel like part of the reason I don't like it is because I'm coming from this place of Western white privilege, and I don't understand where this book is coming from, and I feel badly about that. Yes. <laughs> but I don't like it. Absolutely, yeah. That's where I'm at. And so, on those notes, uh, in this book, the uh, there is... In the, the book, the book, there is, like constant very casual 
like sexual assault happening to this very small child for most of the book um all like all along and and it is hard to read because it, it's just it just happens like her brother sends her to the store to buy a vegetable and the clerk makes her go into the back and sit on his lap while he fondles her and then the story just moves on like like that's just something that just happens to people and it is something that just happens to people but it's hard to I, it's yeah it's frustrating <laughs> and I think that this book I mean the author is a woman and I think that like maybe it's in there so casually and that's because she is angry about that because it shouldn't be the norm you know but man it's rough <laughs> and it was put in there a lot like and it wasn't even just against this the woman, like the brother, mm-hmm. and there's at one point in the story where her brother uh, can't go to the theaters because if he's going to the theater by himself and there's not someone else with him, like grown at grown, I almost said grown ass men, grown ass men who should know better. Um, it's our podcast. <laughs> yeah, we can say whatever we want. <laughs> um, just are like putting their hands on him because he's in the theater by himself. Yeah. So it was interesting um, because it was like casual sexual assault. And, like, against both genders. And then there's a part in the novel where you see the brother turn into an adult in the society. And he starts telling the sister to, like, walk behind him and not be near him. Yeah. And it's like, and now he's adopted those views. It almost felt like it. Oh, yeah. That was really interesting to me, too. I totally agree that it was, it was like, they were really close. And then he, like, crossed this, like, now he's a man, like, age threshold. And then, and then it was like ugh, like, you have to be far from me. You know, you're my little sister, and women are, are kind of innately dirty and disgusting. You know, that was, that was, yeah. And it, and it was just like, oh, I just, like, wanted the book to have more of a feminist narrative, which is probably asking a lot, but, um, for any, like, any book, really. But um, it was rough. And then there's also really... At least the mom, their mom at once, and the main character, I think, three times attempted to commit suicide yes. and it was all same thing talked about it and then it was over and then they moved on just like so casually yeah and it was almost like it wasn't a big deal like the way that death was approached in this novel which may be a part of turkish culture oh. in a revolt time was that it was just like life is terrible i don't want to be here i'm gonna try and kill myself oh that didn't work keep living this terrible life yeah and it i was think really yeah, and I do think that a lot in my like limited experience in living in other cultures, I think that a lot of other cultures besides Americans, um, we think about death a lot differently than most of the world. Yeah. Um, because we like avo- Americans like avoid thinking about it. We never talk about it. We suicide is a huge problem in this country, and it doesn't get any cov- news coverage. And then also that we um, we don't have a lot of like very formal mourning when someone does die the way that a lot of other cultures do. We're real bad about hard things So we just, America. yeah, so we just, like, we, and so, and so perhaps that, like, yeah, it's part of it because they probably, in Turkish culture, have a more of a system for how, like, a different system for how they think about death. Well, and it was interesting, too, um, on the topic of death in this novel, that through the course of the whole story, which this is something else, I didn't like reading it because it got really extensive and long, but something else that I enjoyed, um, that I thought was interesting because it was like she was... So the girl, let me explain what I'm talking about first. The girl, she starts with this list of people that are dead that she's praying for each night. And through the course of the novel, that list grows. So like the final time you hear the list, it is literally two pages, black page text, no mm-hmm. paragraph breaks of just all these people that she knows of that have died that she's praying um, to Allah about because they're Muslim in the story. 
including she's trying to play for all four million Turkish people who died in World War One or World War Two or something. So it's a lot, you know. It's, it's a, a lot. <laughs> and I didn't like reading it at the end. I definitely skipped the list when I saw it coming. But I thought it was interesting that it was like it was like a tally of all the bad things that were happening as this list grew. Yeah. Like as things got worse. The list was just growing and growing and growing. And it wasn't even that she was taking on people that she knew. Personally, it was like, oh, I saw this woman at the baths whose husband has died. I'm going to pray for her dead husband and her dead mother and father. Mm-hmm. Like, the list was very... I thought that was really interesting and in how, as things got worse, just how much she was perseverating on and trying to do something good where she's praying for these people, but just on all these people that are dead. Yeah, and I wonder if she's growing up in a time of, like, upheaval where there was, you know, there was, like, there was war and, like, a uh, military coup and, and there's death around. And I, if you're, like, have your childhood in that environment, I feel like you're exposed to death really, really young, no matter what culture you're from, and it's traumatizing, you yeah. know? And, I, like, that's the way she was trying to handle that yeah. <laughs> as a child, like, the only way you could think how to handle it. Let's also say, at one point this author, or not this author, this character does go to a mental hospital Mm -hmm. um and it's very clear that on top of being an unreliable narrator because she's a child there are also mental health issues going on and so it's hard to read her text and see what like what's really happening what are you imagining happening what is magical realism what is a victim of your mental health issues well i kind of think because that was almost at the very end of the book and I kind of wonder if, like, the theme of the book is that, like, is that in general life is absurd and it makes, and trying to live it makes us all crazy in the end. That's, you know, makes us all end up in a mental hospital. That's like, if you, if you really, like, felt everything that went on in the world, that's what would happen to you. And she does anyone. feel everything that happens yeah. to her. Yeah. That is a good point. I didn't so, think about that. So, I think that might be one of the overall themes, you know? Because then right after that, when she gets out of the mental hospital, she decides to go to Germany and work. And I think at that time, there was a big wave of workers from Turkey going to Germany yeah. to work. And um, and she's, like, excited, and she's going to, like, start this new life. And then the book ends. And so I feel like it's like she had that breakdown, and she's like, I can't be here anymore. I can't be in this, in yeah. this like, absurdity. And she's going to try something else. That, you found meaning in this book that I do not find. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that was funny in this book is that there's a page that's literally all the way things you can call a dick. Yeah, there's like a three-page long dick joke. It's pretty funny. It's my favorite part of the book. <laughs> um, and there, I'm just going to read some of the things, the words that they have for dick, because I thought they were hilarious. One of them was, um, I can't say the word in Turkish, but it basically means trouser fish. <laughs> Yeah, that is a good one. Trouser Trouser fish. fish. Um, (laughs) I also liked that um, they called the balls stuffed figs. Yeah. And that happened more than once. Like, they'd be like, that man has no figs. They'd be (laughs) talking about his balls. Yeah. Um, And then Baba Fingo. (laughs) Baba Fingo was a dick. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that part was pretty great, and and then and then there was like a lot of the main word, like the most uh, polite word I think to use that was in Turkish, sick. And then they were like, we're making jokes about like the English word to you're yeah. sick, and there was like all this like because she was studying English in school, so there's like that like the words the same, but it means different things in two languages. Jokes. And they <laughs> called um, a woman's vagina a little box. Yeah, yeah. The only word for vagina was little box, and that like women should stay at home and keep their hands over their little boxes all the time. And that when you went to the baths, you were airing out your little box. Yeah, whenever they kind of women were like, 
whenever women were like, we're not going to stay at home and do our chores today. We're going to like go have a fun day. It was always that you had to air out your little box. <laughs> It was a very interesting... Which, I think we should start using that. It's like, I can't work today. I have to take a personal day. I need to air out my little box. Just don't explain. Just put that in the notes on the absence system. Just need to air out my little little box. box. Yeah. I'm requesting a vacation day. I mean, I feel like people would feel like they couldn't question it. Like, they'd be like, I don't know what that is, but I just don't know how to respond. Okay. Yeah. I think that's exactly what would happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, one other thing that I just thought was interesting in this book um, was towards the beginning of the novel, it taught you this word that we're not even going to attempt to say because I don't want to be offensive. It's a, and it's an Arabic word. Yeah. And it's long. It's a long <laughs> And we definitely Arabic can't pronounce word, it correctly. And we definitely can't pronounce it correctly. But basically, it's like a, I would say it's like a cry out to God. Yeah. I think they gave the translation as like, um, God be, like, God be with me. God in the with, name of God. In the name of God. Right. So they would use the word, you know, like, we're getting up, oh, I woke up this morning, in the name of God. I woke, you know, I woke, I, we're having dinner, in the name of God. Mm-hmm. I, we got this new car, in the name of God, you know, and so it's keeping that in the forefront of your mind. And that was in the novel a lot, and also in the novel a lot, which I wish I had marked what the words were for this one. Oh, um, was like, okay, okay, basically, yeah. like, um, which is what I think I'll attempt to say. It's me, which is like... All right. right with it and then, and then the person says, all right. But it was interesting with that one because you were expected to say all right. Like, someone is not asking you to on me as, like, a, are you all oh, right? Sure. They're saying, like, it's an all right, this, this is a command. <laughs> yes, yeah. And it was always her brother was doing it to her, and, and then she would say, all right, it was okay. She'd do it, whatever it was he was asking her. And then, But then when she tried to do it to other people and ask them, mm-hmm. they'd never say yes to her. Yeah. So that was interesting. So it was interesting to hear these words that were um, Arabic words that it seemed like they were just like part of that language and the way they spoke. I was also so interested because they were talking about how in the Ottoman Empire, when the Ottoman Empire was Turkey, that the Turkish script was in Arabic letters. Mm -hmm. And then when the Ottoman Empire ended and the Republican Party, like Ataturk, became president, they changed the script to be like uh, Romanized letters. Yeah. And, and so then that like old people, in the, when the book is set, old people could only read Turkish in the Arabic letters and couldn't read the modern Turkish. And young people couldn't read the Arabic Turkish, but because they're all... Muslim, their all their prayers are in Arabic, and so and so it's, and so it's like now Turkish people couldn't read them as easily as they could before, yeah. I guess. And I, mean, I was just like, oh, that's super interesting. And that's like a that's such a huge thing to do if you're trying to Westernize that you're gonna actually change the script of your language. Like, can you imagine how like complicated and drastic that would be? It's like how the U.S. <laughs> really needs to switch to the metric system because our system of measurement makes no sense, but we never will. But we never will because it's just too, <laughs> it's too hard. It's too hard. We won't do it. But Turkey did that. Like, yeah. Turkey did it. And Even though the metric system, if you are on the metric system, you are blessed because it makes way more sense than yeah. inches and feet. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like even if we did switch now, we're screwed because... In my mind, I can picture how long like a foot is, but I like I cannot picture as well a meter or you know like anything any any like measurement or like a liter versus a gallon. Like I don't yeah. <laughs> can't do it, and so it's like only kids who grew up with learning it in school would be able to do it. Yeah, and that, so it take like a whole generation. <laughs> and that's what's happening in this novel is that whole generation hasn't passed yet. Yeah, and so there's just this like. Yeah. I can't read what you're writing, and you can't read what I'm writing, and we cannot communicate. Yeah. You know, maybe this book is actually more feminist than it looks, you know, because I feel like there are 
Because I feel like maybe the sexual assault stuff and the, is, are you okay? Can you do this? Yes. You know, I have to do it. Like, all right. Thing. Like, I think maybe the author's trying to show the absurdity of the fact that the women, mm-hmm. like, the, how terrible it is for women. And that's why in the end she leaves Germany. Or she leaves Turkey and goes to Germany. I mean, I think there is a message in this book. I just... Just can't really figure out what it is. Here's my... <laughs> I mean, this is kind of skipping ahead to doesn't make the list, but we'll get to that in a minute. But here's my issue with this book is that I can't access that very well from yeah. this novel, so it's not a universal book. This book is definitely written for people who are in that culture. Like, yeah. it's written for Turkish people, which is great, because I'm sure there's not very many novels written for Turkish people, right. but it's not written for me to access. Right. And why should Turkish authors or any author from a, not from Western Europe or from America, be, have to write books for a Western audience? True. That's colonialism, you yeah. know? And so, and so it's go for it. Write books only for your people, you know? But so then <laughs> that makes it really hard for us to discuss or to understand, because it's not written for us. Yeah. We but need to have, like... Isn't a friend that was Turkish to come into, onto the podcast, but I don't know anyone who's Turkish. I don't either. So, I don't think there's a lot of Turkish people where we live. Um, uh, so, yeah, so it's very... But I was just like, yeah, it's good if they're writing for a Turkish audience, but it's hard for it to be on an international list like this mm-hmm. um, because the subject matter isn't accessible. Yeah. yeah. I find that very interesting. I mean, I guess we can move on to doesn't make our list. Um, We're a little short on the chatting but if we have anything else we want to talk about I think I covered it yeah I yeah this is this this like I think this is a book I really wanted to like I really wanted to learn more about Turkish culture and I don't feel like I did learn you know I just I just yeah it was just hard to get through it's hard to get through because the structure and the um cultural barriers were hard (laughs) yeah so I'm gonna say we'll say it doesn't make the list and then I I think we're gonna have a little bit more discussion about this part this part because I have some reasons why it does or does not make my list. Okay, so are we going to count down? two, two, three, no. no. Okay, so here's my reason it doesn't make my list, and it has a lot to do with what we were just talking about. I think that it's great that an author wants to write something for their people, and I, like, I love that this woman had the capability to do that. That said, I think a book that is going on an international list that is a thousand one books you might, must read... I would love to have read a book about Turkey and about this struggle that was more widely accessible, that could really introduce people to that struggle in a way that they could actually relate to it and be able to develop some empathy for those people. Right. And then you probably could read a book like this and it, and it would make more sense. Because I had already had that introduction. Yeah. And so I think that a book that's on a thousand and one books list needs to be more widely accessible so that it has more meaning for people and gives them a relationship with that country. And I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I was able to relate to the Turkish people or gain more insight into their lives because I wasn't able to access this book. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with all those reasons. I feel like we're starting to create criteria for being on our list that it like needs to be accessible, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, you can really get something out of it, and he, or it needs to have, like, influenced works that come after it, if it's an older book, you know, like, that we might make the list because it was so influential, and obviously mm-hmm. other books are based on it, um, or, and, or it's, like, the best in its category, it's yeah. the best book out there, the best type of satire book we've ever seen, or, you know, the best type of set in this era that we've ever seen, uh, and so, 
I feel like books have made a list for all those reasons, and this book doesn't check any of those boxes for me. No, it doesn't check any of those boxes for me. And it makes me wish I knew a Turkish book that I could read that would make me like Turkish literature and want to read more of it. This definitely wasn't yeah. an introduction yeah. novel to Turkish yes. literature. Yes, yeah. <laughs> if someone has written a book where they're trying to open it up to get a Western person mm-hmm. more engaged, if you know what that book is, email us at 1001bookspodcast at gmail.com, and we will read the book and talk yeah. about it on the podcast, because we really want to learn more about it. And I feel like if I had more of a background in what happened in Turkey or um, just Islam in general and like... Yeah, it made me feel woefully ignorant about Islam. Yeah, Um, and it made me feel woefully ignorant about storytelling cultures, but it uh didn't... It didn't give me anything to build off of. Yeah. Like, it didn't give me an access point where I could, like, then learn about that culture and be able to relate to it. And I really want to, like, I've been trying lately to read more authors of color, like, American authors of color and international ones, um, to try to broaden my perspective. And because I do not think that a book like, a book list like this it cannot be all white European authors. That is not that is not the books you're supposed yeah. to read before you die. That is not what the canon should be. Uh, it should be international like this. We should be challenging ourselves to read books like this that are harder to get through because it's harder to connect. Yes. Um, but it would have been, I agree, it would have been, if we'd read one book before this that really, like, made, helped me make the connection, I would have enjoyed yeah. this more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, it's not on our list, but... We would love for a book like this to be on our, on the list. On like the I list, would love yeah. to read a book about Turkey from a Turkish person, first person. It's not the first. It's not first person. It's called a when someone's relating writing from their own own voices. Mm-hmm. I would love to read an own voices novel about Turkey and about that um, East meets West kind of struggle and about their civil war that I was able to access that would make me want to read more. Yeah. Yeah, and that probably is out there. We just don't know how to find it. So Find it for us. Find it and let us know, and we will talk about it. Um, yeah. So, no, it's not on our list. So. I also, and I told Nicole this earlier, I feel like after reading this book, I need to read, like, some, like, chicken noodle soup type book, which to me is Harry Potter. So I'm thinking this afternoon I'm going to be reading some Harry Potter. Right, and I immediately started the most recent Philippa Gregory historical fiction book because I love those and I know that guaranteed I will enjoy it. I just need to read something light and easy that I could get through because this book was heavy and dark and slow to read. <laughs> um, and, like, something yeah. about this book, too, like, I couldn't I couldn't eat while reading this book. Like, that, that sounds weird. Like, it, it was, like very viscerally like heavy to me like I couldn't I know I couldn't read this book and like be snacking or like half focused like it was very a heavy visceral made me feel kind of nauseous book but then in a way that I like I still like couldn't access it I felt nauseous but I couldn't yeah (laughs) that's so true I I read a lot of this book on lunch breaks at work and it was really it it required all of my focus Mm -hmm. to get inside to get into the story because of the um, stream of consciousness style, uh, yeah. So, it, yeah, it was just it was not an easy read. I feel like almost any book, if I start a new book and I like it, I'll probably finish it in three days. You know, almost any book, unless it's like really long. But yeah. but this book, a week and a half. This took me the full two weeks. I finished yeah. it literally this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and I finished it uh, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that, yeah, so I feel like that's just really unusual for me to, um, and sometimes when I really like a book, I regret that I read it so fast yeah. because I'm, you know, but in this case it was like, I just got to get through this and I had all these other books I wanted to read waiting that I couldn't start until I finished this one. Uh. <laughs> so our, um, 
little mini segment today for everyone to listen to is um, books that got us interested in reading and books that really sparked that in us. Right, which we wanted to go on a lighter note, so it's a little more fun. And so we're thinking of the books that were like the first chapter books we ever read in our own when we were kids that really turned us into readers. Yes, and for me, when I was about, I probably was seven or eight, I, um, on Easter one year, the Easter Bunny, (laughs) brought me the Little House on the Prairie box set. And I remember just devouring those. I read um, them so quickly. And even, like, in Little House on the Prairie, like, what, as Laura gets older in the story, it's hard for a seven-year-old to understand what's happening. Still read them all. <laughs> like, love that yeah. box that kept it for years. The box was destroyed. Um, and it's just the first chapter book series I remember reading. Yeah. Yeah, I never have read those except for The Little House on the Prairie, the, the, oh, the second one. they're really good. Yeah. I know. They're, I mean, they're real racist because they were very much written... In the 1800s. In the 1800s yeah. by a woman who was homesteading and uh, kicking Native Americans off of their land. Yeah. So, but if you look at it from the cultural point of that's when they were written, I still think they have value. Yeah. Like, they're good books. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing about me when I... When I was first learning to read in first grade or whatever, I was behind, and I was in the lowest reading group in my class, like lower than grade level. And I think it's because um, when I was in kindergarten, my family went to Australia for five weeks, and I just like missed a chunk of the alphabet. And I still like did that schoolwork, but it wasn't the same, you know? And so then I remember my first grade teacher gave my mom like extra books, extra reading to do with me at home so I would catch up. And then by the time I was in second grade, I had like jumped three levels or whatever. Yeah three book groups and um but then so I and so despite the fact that I know that I, I know that I was like forced to read during that time so I would catch up you know it didn't make me not like reading so my mom did something right that yeah. she didn't make it didn't feel like a chore and I was always read to at night before bed always you know before I could read and I remember the first um my mom and I sometimes on Saturday mornings we I would like go up and get in her bed and we would read you know like before breakfast or whatever we still would do that sometimes like when I'm home on Christmas yeah. <laughs> and but I remember the first chapter books I really got into was like a long long series called The Saddle Club because I had a very long horse glove phase that lots of little girls have from like first to fourth grade and uh and I my, I remember there was like three that were my favorite there's three main girls in the books and they're each had a there's each a book about how they kind of when they got their horse uh-huh. and those are always my favorite ones <laughs> and I read I remember those ones and I remember the first book I ever read cover to cover in one sitting which now is like my favorite thing to do yeah. um was a Sabrina the Teenage Witch like novel from this TV show, which is I'm sure that they were terrible, but I really liked them. And there was a bunch. Yeah, I remember. I think I owned at least ten. You know, and I, but I remember I read one of those like all by myself, all morning one day, and it was and that was it. I was hooked. <laughs> Uh, so it doesn't really have, doesn't have to be cla- the classics. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, I mean, my brother and I when we were little, uh, there's two series, which is funny because since I'm a teacher now, like I have kids read these books and I see them do this exact same thing. Uh, so I was definitely above this level. My little brother's four years younger than me. But when we were like, I was probably in third grade and he was in kindergarten and he's a super fast reader, like insane. Um, so we would read the Magic Treehouse novels, which are like 100 pages long, <laughs> and we would race 
We would like literally pick up a novel <laughs> and we would see who could finish it first. And I'm a very strong reader, I always have been, but my little brother was like off the charts and it would make me so angry because this little five-year-old, we would be racing on a Magic Treehouse novel and he'd finish it first. That's so funny. I've never even heard of those books. Um, they're about Jack and Annie, and oh. they find a magic treehouse, and they get to go back in time. Oh. The first one's called Dinosaurs After Dark. It's really great, because I read them to my kids now, and I like have so much nostalgia. I read them to my kids now, and they uh, will read the first one around April, and then they always want to keep reading. So like every year, I've pretty much read the first four magic treehouse books as oh. a read-aloud, because they just love them so much. <laughs> You know, that's they, a good children's book. They go to the dinosaurs, and they go visit a knight. Then they go visit the mummies, and then there's Vikings. It's that just, sounds just... great. Yeah, <laughs> I the other um, like adult like children's chapter book series I read a lot of was Animorphs. Oh, you, I read all those. Yeah, which and I remember in college when Twilight came out, that author also also wrote another book called The Host. And my roommate was like, read this one, The Host. It's really good. And and I read it, and she's like, I've never read anything like this book before. And I read it, and I was like, this is the plot of Animorphs. <laughs> and then she, and she had never heard of Animorphs, and none of my roommates had ever heard of them. And I was like, literally, this is about, like, aliens that come, and they're, like, parasites, and they, like, take over your body. That's like, this is the exact plot of Animorphs without it turning yeah. into animals. <laughs> and in one of the books, the guy gets taken by a parasite, and they have to lock him up until the parasite dies in his brain, and he comes back. Yeah, yeah. And there's, like, that one kid who gets stuck as an owl or whatever. He transforms into an owl or a hawk or yeah. something and he gets trapped in that form. It'd be really fun to reread Animorphs as an adult really and talk fun. about them. I bet you could find them really cheap at like half price books. <laughs> if we ever get really popular, we will do a secondary podcast yeah. of rereading the Animorphs. Agreed. High five. <laughs> We're going to reread the Animorphs. I, if that podcast doesn't exist, it should. Someone's I, doing yeah. Babysitter's Club. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would, if I would listen to that podcast for sure. <laughs> so maybe we should do it too. <laughs> just so tempted. I just, because it only would take like two hours. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be easier to read than some of these books. <laughs> there are like 50 of them. I know. I don't think I read the whole series. I didn't I read, read them in order. I read up until like, I was, then you thought kinda, I was kinda, too cool. So I think I read like the out. first 30 or 40. Yeah. We but that, that would be so out. fun. That would be really I'm going to buy maybe, us the first maybe, thing of Maybe that's what we should just read the first one and we can do it as one of these little extra <gasps> segments and it can be a spin-off. <laughs> ourselves yeah. we think we're really cool right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're real book nerds, you guys. Let's have two book podcasts. <laughs> One of them reading a book from our childhood, which I'm sure we would read it now and be like, this book is ridiculous. I know. I wonder, because I just remember feeling like in those books that the story was very complex at the time. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the, in one of the books, she goes into space with the alien things. Oh, I she, didn't she read, turns did into not a read fly. That I think it's a fly. Oh, a fly. She could turn into a fly. Yeah, the main We're going to reread these. Yeah. We're I gonna, think that there is a podcast like this where they're doing this with Goosebumps. And there's one with um, Babysitter's Club, which I really enjoy because the Babysitter's Club, I've only listened to one episode, but it's two men. Oh, that's awesome. Reading the Babysitter's yeah. Club. I never read adults. those. I did. I read some Goosebumps, but not very many because I was such a chicken. <laughs> I never read the Goosebumps. I read one once, and I was like, nope. I only like the ones that were like, choose your own adventure. That's the one I read. <laughs> yeah, those are the only ones that I like. Um, all right, so that's our take on childhood books. If you um, have a childhood book podcast, <laughs> please tell us about it so we can listen to it. And if you have the Animorph one, invite us to come on it, because otherwise we're going to have to start it ourselves. Yeah, we'll, we'll guest for sure. <laughs> we'll read whatever one you want us to read. Uh, and if you have a childhood book that you think that there should be a podcast about, you tweet at us. Yes. I think that's a great topic. Um, should we draw our book for next time? Yes, we should. Okay, we're reaching into the hat. 
And our book for next time is going to be called The Life and Times of Michael K. Hmm. The Life and Times of Michael K. Not 1920s. Not 1920s. I know, that title not is like, 1920s. is very, like, like that could, that could be from like any English speaking country or non-English speaking country. It could be from any time period. It kind of makes... The Life and the Times. I know. It kind of makes, the title kind of makes me think of like a Charles Dickens type novel. But I know that that's not a Charles Dickens novel because I know the names of those. But like The Life and Times, that sounds like Nicholas Nickleby or something, you know? It sounds like it's long. Long, you think? Yeah. Like Life and Times. Like it's flying their whole life. We yeah. shall see. Yeah. Um, however, while we're reading that, you should make sure you follow us um, at 1001BooksPod on, on twi- Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And then if you would like to email us with any of your comments, you can email us at 1001BooksPodcast at gmail.com. All right, so we're particularly looking for if you have things you want us to talk, books you want us to talk about in our extra segment. Um, we want to hear, hear about those topics. Give us ideas. And if you agree or totally disagree with any of our ratings, we can discuss those who are too. And we would love to start being able to kind of follow up on comments on our books. Yeah. Uh, we are getting... We are more than halfway through recording this first season of A Thousand One Yes. And we're going to start, we Re- record these obviously way in advance. We're going to start releasing them soon. So we're really, really excited. excited. And soon we'll, you guys will be real people. <laughs> we'll all just be talking to a microphone Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. We'll have to see. Um, but we obviously it takes time to read the book. So we had to get ahead a little bit <laughs> so that, you know. If one of us gets the flu or whatever, we have episodes yeah. to release. And we had to convince my very lovely boyfriend to let us use his sound equipment. Yes. <laughs> He's our equipment manager. And no, our cook. <laughs> we did set up this episode by ourselves. So if it sounds a little less great than the last, like, three, it, it's our error, not his. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can thank our equipment manager at 1001bookspodcast at gmail.com. So um, we will hopefully talk to you last time, next time, last time. Ooh. Uh, keep reading in the meantime yeah happy reading bye